Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We ask you to bless us as we look at your word and that you will show us what you would have us to see from it all and, and the new day and new time that we're having this class. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Micah chapter 3. And I said, Here I pray, O heads of Jacob and you princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment, who hate good and love evil, who pluck out their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skins from off of them, and they, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces, as for the pot and as the flesh within the cauldron. So we're going to look at this. This is a, a provision against the leaders of Israel, and pretty harsh. And we've been talking about this. Uh, Micah was a prophet under some pretty harsh kings. And it says, Here, here to obey, I pray you, the heads of Jacob and the princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? You know, basically saying, you deserve, you, you deserve judgment. He's just kind of putting it in a question for them. But he's basically saying, you deserve punishment. You deserve to know it. You deserve to have it. And this is, this is his opening statement in this chapter. You are wicked and you deserve judgment is what he's coming out. And then he goes in verse 2, who hate good, love evil. This has happened over many times in the, in the history of this world. During Noah's day, they did what was right in their own heart and basically loved evil and, and hated good. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus told the Pharisees that they were doing pretty much the same thing. And he said that in our day, good will be called evil and evil will be called good and that men would hate hate uh, the good and, and love the evil. And we're seeing just that happen, happening in our day, which tells us we're headed toward the end days. Because when people get completely there, God will judge. And this is a really pretty sad state of affairs to be in. And don't know how many times you've been witnessing to somebody and you'll hear something, well, that's just your opinion, or who are you to tell me that, or you know, what, you know, why should I believe that? And they're trying to institute their idea of good and evil. And God is saying he has a standard for good and evil. And just the fact that people have good and evil as a standard means that there's some standard out there. They'll try to tell you there isn't, but yet every individual will say this is good and this is bad. Now, they may not always agree on what is good and bad, depending on whose standard they're using, whether it be their own or God's. But everybody comes down to this idea of there's good and bad. Even those who will tell you that there's no absolute right and wrong, there's no absolute truth, they still know that there's right and wrong. And it's not hard to get them to, to have to think about what they think is right and wrong. You can find out, you know, well, children being abused is pretty much universally accepted by all people as wrong. Stealing something that belongs to you is generally considered wrong. By, by all people. Now they may think that they can steal and get away with it or whatever, but to steal from them is considered wrong. And so we see here that Mike is telling the leaders, you are hating good and loving evil. And this is a serious condemnation. Then he goes on to even describe that. Who pluck off their skin from them and the flesh from off of their bones. Okay, this is that idea of scavenging from people and taking everything that they have. 
you know, first you, you're, you're taking the, the superficial, the skin, but then it says you're, you're, you're taking it all the way down to the bone. This is a picture, a word picture of something that's very harsh and evil. They're taking everything away from the people. And this happens oftentimes with governments as they start taxing people to death. You know, we see it. You know, they need more money to run the government, so they start taking more and more and more away from the people. And we've seen it many times over history. Solomon taxed the people so, so, so severely that they griped and complained to his son, you know, cut our, you know, reduce our tax burden. And he very unwisely listened to his young friends who said, you know, tell them that you, you, you think my father was bad, I'm going to be worse. Okay, his, his little finger, my little finger will be as his waist is what he said in a poetic language. You know, you know, you think he was bad, just wait. And we see this over time, how governments do this. Usually leading to their downfall because people will only get taxed so long before they will rebel, no matter whether it's a uh, democracy or a monarchy or whatever. If you tax them too heavily, they will eventually rebel because they want to eat themselves. And, and we get the government they deserve, right? We get, well, we get the government we deserve, but that's due to our obedience or disobedience from to God, because we will get that. Verse 3, Who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them. They break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot, as and as flesh within the cauldron. Again, this is his idea of taking everything from them. And, you know, literally to the point of almost, you know, it's almost consuming them. And if you consume somebody's, enough of somebody's wealth and taxes, you will consume them for all practical purposes because they will not have the money to live. Oh, yeah. Okay, if you think about uh, the stories, you know, stories out there like Robin Hood where the, where the king, well, actually the, the fake king, <laughs> the, the one that's in, it, in the king's stead was taxing the people to death uh, to, to do all these things. And we see this whole thing, it goes, it's very, you know, very vivid in this description. You eat the flesh of my people, you flay their skin, and that literally talks about cutting out, cutting off chunks of skin either with a whip or a knife. And it says you break their bones and chop them up. You put them on display. Okay, literally in Hebrew it says put them on display, and before putting them in the pot. And you know, so this is Micah is coming down hard on the rulers saying basically you have no fear of God. You're doing what is right in your own eyes. You're doing what you think is best for you. And you're hurting the people that you are supposed to be protecting. Because even in God's mind, government was designed to protect the, the people. And that is their whole purpose. And this is what Paul tells us in Roman. They, they wield the sword so that they can protect the people. The government's job is to keep law and order and not to keep building themselves up and taking more and more responsibility on themselves. But because government is made up of human beings, they <coughs> get more and more power, and they keep growing their power base, and they keep taking more and more from people. And we see this all through history. All governments end up doing this, taking more and more, because they get to the place where they know how to run things better than the people. And you've always got somebody who thinks they're smarter than everybody else and that their way of doing things is the best way to do it. And if they get power and put in charge, then they will implement their way of doing things. And we're seeing even in our country, there's this battle right now on what kind of government will we have. 
and the government has con consistently and constantly grown. It has not reduced in the years that it's been in existence. It's continually growing and is growing to the place where it's trying to take over just about everything in life and take on responsibility for more, telling parents they don't know how to take care of their kids and wanting to run their kids, t telling businesses they don't know how to do their business, trying to get them to run their, you know, tell them how to run their business. And it's going to continue getting bigger until something happens. Now what that something's going to be is, is up in the air right now. Will it be a revolution where we take back our country or will it be the second coming of, of Jesus and he takes his church away in a rapture and the world becomes one world government? and gets even worse. <laughs> so we're on that cusp. We don't know exactly what it is. I believe we're headed toward one world government, but anything can happen if God still has a few more years out there. But this is the natural tendency of government. It's nothing new. You know, and we said this over the thing, there's nothing new under the sun. We tend to think this is new, but if we look back through history, all over the place it's been going on, all through the Bible it goes on, and it's nothing new. Okay, uh, verse 4, then they, then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in, in their doings. So the people who are being abused are going to call out to God. And this one that says he will not hear literally says he will not respond. I like that better. It's a better better translation of it, he will not respond, he will not answer. Why? Because the people themselves have been disobedient. And this goes back to what, what you said, Mark, they're getting what the government they deserve. When we are disobedient, God lets bad things happen to us, either as individuals or as nations. And when a nation rebels against God, then he says, okay, fine, you want, you want to be rebellious? Let me give you people that are rebellious leaders. And then those leaders will be the tool of chastisement on the people that were disobedient because they will start taking. And the funny thing is, this is what you see. What you're made up of, who you worship, the Bible tells us, is what we become. Okay? And this is important for us to understand. When we worship God, we start to become more like God. If we worship a false idol, or some other idol that we have set up in our life, we will become like that idol. When they, when they would worship Baal or Ashtoreth, the, the fertility gods, they became very sexually active in deviant manners. We're seeing that in our world. We're seeing people who worship after power. And we see that in our world where people are just so power hungry, they want all the, all the authority they can get through that power. We see people becoming what it is they worship. We see people who worship entertainment and they fill their mind with emptiness and worthlessness. And they basically become empty and worthless themselves. And money, you know, many people that seek after money, they will do anything to get that money. And they become, they become that type of person. This is why we need to watch our hearts to make sure that we're worshiping God and not letting any other idol or God enter into our life. And we in our day and age think we're so sophisticated and so beyond these gods, but we still have the gods. We just don't have them on, on, in figurine form bowing down before them. There are people who are worshiping sex, and they live in that way. There are people who are, are worshiping work and money and success. Mm -hmm. 
you know, some people for food. I mean, it could be any number of things out there that people are worshiping, and they become what they worship. And then, as you fill your population full of these people who are worshiping and becoming other gods, who do your leaders come from? That group of people that are worshiping other gods, and then they bring their worship into the, into the government. Which is why, especially in the early days, every state had a, had a statement in their constitutions that you had to give a statement of faith to Christianity to be able to take office. Now, in the 1800s, all those were stripped out because the federal government, you know, uh, Supreme Court cases said, said they were illegal, so they stripped them out of their constitutions. But in the early days, if you were not a Christian or at least willing to make an affirmation that you believed in those things, you could not be in authority. We're getting the government we deserve. The, the, for years, the, the church has stayed out of government, period. They didn't even encourage people to go out and vote according to the Bible. They just, they just totally ignored it. We end up getting what we what we deserve. You know, it, what what we reap, we sow, and and when we sow evil, we're going to reap it in the in the end. And God is saying, here He goes. By the way, you're, you've gotten so bad. I'm not even going to listen. I'm not listening. I'm not responding to your calls because you have been behaving ill, or wickedly. In actuality, you've been you've been wicked, so I'm not listening. And this is true until you're ready to repent. God will not step forward, deliver us, because there's no sense in delivering us before we've repented. That's like the individual who gets uh, gets caught, and they're not sorry for what they've done. They're sorry they got caught. And God is saying, "I'm not helping you. You're sorry you got caught right now." And you're, and you're looking for deliverance, but I'm not stepping forward to deliver you because you're not repentant. And repentance is so important for us. And to repent means to literally turn away from what we're doing wrong toward God and away from what we do. And it's to be sorry for what we've done in one sense, but sorry is not enough. It's to be sorry and to literally turn away from that sin and walk toward God and do what he wants. Verse 5. This says the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry, Peace, and he puts not into their mouth, that they even prepare war against him. So here God's saying there are prophets among, among you. And these aren't godly prophets. These are people claiming to be prophets, and God says they're not my prophets. He goes, they make my people err. They make them do wrong. <laughs> And bite with their teeth. They're, they're, attacking, they're attacking the people with their words. And he says they speak peace. And this is the word salome. And we've talked about the word salome means so much more than just tranquil state of affairs. It is the entirety of the heart that's tranquil, the person who's in line with God. It's a great, when they, when they speak the word salome, they mean so much more than just peace. And, uh, and here he says, these prophets that are biting and attacking my people, they say peace. And while they're doing that message that God has not put in their mouth, they're preparing for war against God. This is a pretty serious situation that you're looking at. False prophets. And you know, the sad thing, even in our day in the church, there are a lot of people that are saying they're pastors, saying they're teachers, that don't speak the word of God 
in churches. And we've got a lot of big problems coming up out of there. We have whole denominations that are accepting sin and saying it's okay because they don't believe the word of God. And, they're going to and those denominations are going to cause problems for those who want to hold on to God's word because they're going to point out and say, well, not all Christians believe like you do. These guys over here are becoming, becoming one with us. You know, why can't you? And this is exactly what we're, we're, we are hearing and will hear more and more as we get more and more evil out there. That people are going to say, well, you guys are just you know, being intolerant of all of us and you're, and you're holding standards that are ancient and not, not appropriate. You know, you, why don't you be like these other quote-unquote Christians and they won't put Christian quotes around it. They'll say that we are being the wrong ones. We're not being Christian. This is going to be hard for us in the, in the very near future as people come against us, as we hold on to God's word and his truth and get judged more and more by the world and possibly even persecuted by the world. The clash that we had that you missed, uh, it was very interesting. You might remember. It was the uh, five prophets. Four tells the king what he wants to hear and one doesn't. And I really took that home with me that the one that doesn't is the one he wants to hear the advice from, not the ones that are... Uh, the prophets that are uh, going to tell the king what he wants to hear. And we as Christians need to seek that out. We need to seek the people out that are going to tell the truth. Even though truth oftentimes hurts. Okay? Oftentimes when we're sitting in a church service or listening to a message, there are times when you're going to sit there and think that the pastor has been reading your diary and watching you 24-7 <laughs> speaking to you because that's the message that God has got giving. But it's not. It's just that the Spirit is saying, here is the message for you. And we need to be ready. We need that kind of teaching. If we're not being challenged by the teaching, uh, by the teachers that we're sitting under, we've got a little bit of a problem because we're not ever being challenged. I'm not going to say that you have to be wowed by them and amazed by them, but if you're not hearing something that really touches you and challenges you, there's something wrong. And you need a teacher that's different. Now, that teacher may be teaching God's word and everything, but they may not be the teacher for you if that's the case. Because we need to be taught. And that's why I tell everybody, I listen to several teachers, and every once in a while I get hit right between the eyes on something and saying, okay, I've got to change something in my life as well. Other times I get at least thrown out something new that I've never thought of and, or a way that I've never thought of it. And these are important. The longer we walk with God, the less we're going to be amazed by the word of God because we've studied it, we're, we've been deep into it. But there should always be that element of being taught. I've always, I have been taught and do still believe this to my day, that no matter who is speaking at the front of a church, if they are speaking with the authority of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to learn something. It may not be a great revelation, but there's going to be something in that message for me. Now, if I sit in a service that doesn't have a message for me, I'm not going to be too upset, but if I sat in a whole week's worth of services or two weeks' worth of services and I never got anything that fed me, then I'm going to have to say, okay, God, let's find, a, let's find someplace where the Holy Spirit's teaching. And so here he's saying, these prophets are preparing for war against God even. They're speaking peace and they're eating, eating the people away and they're preparing for war. They're not being submitted to God. Verse 6, Therefore, night shall be unto you, and you shall have no vision. 
and it shall be darkened to you, and you shall not divine. The sun shall go down over the prophets, and uh, the day shall be dark over them. This idea of darkness, darkness and light. We've talked in the past, when God uses the word light, oftentimes he's referring to doctrine and truth out of the word, not just the sunlight or the candlelight. Okay? Oftentimes he's talking about doctrine and truth. And here he's saying, these are false prophets. I'm going to make it dark on them. They're not going to have visions. They're not going to have prophecies. They're, they're going to be dark. It's going to be a time of weeping for them and, and trial. Why? Because they have been going against God. Now, will that stop them from actually speaking? Unfortunately, not necessarily. We've all seen people who, even though everything's going wrong and against them, keep doing the wrong things that they're doing. Maybe we've even been there at some point in our life where we keep doing what we know is wrong just because either we don't know better or we don't want to surrender. And God is saying, because they don't want to surrender, it's going to be dark. They're, going to, they're only going to have darkness. In John 12, Jesus says to walk in the light and that he is light. Okay, When you're not with God, you're going to walk in darkness. And when you walk in darkness, you're going to stumble and fall over everything. Good news about walking in light is you see that you see the obstacles. Now you may be clumsy and still trip over the obstacle, but hopefully at least you saw it. It was there. You saw it because you were in the light. And sometimes we as Christians will do the same thing. We we see the obstacle and yet we walk right into, right into it because we don't recognize it. It it's dressed up as a trap and we get caught up in it. But if we open our eyes and we look around, God will lead us and He'll keep us out of those traps. Have you ever been in a place where you, where God, where you listened to God and you didn't say something? Or maybe you did say something that he was telling you to do and you wondered why and then later on he showed it to you? Why? Lots of times I've had people come, I want to do this, you know, and I, and I sit back and I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to say yes to this person. And later on God shows me why it was not a good idea to let it happen. It happens frequently when we listen to God and just listen to that still, small voice. He will keep us from trouble when we listen to him. How do we listen to him? We train our ears to listen to him. We get into the word. We know his, we know his voice. Uh, not so much happening in these days now that we have caller IDs on our telephone, but we're all old enough to remember the days when the phone rang and it didn't tell you who was on the other line. And as soon as you said hello and they spoke to you, you knew who you were talking to without them saying, you know, hi, this is Ralph. <laughs> He just knew their voice because you talked to them often enough. We need to know God's voice that way. God's voice. Because normally he doesn't scream real loud over the noise of our life. He's our master. He's, he is just there and he wants us to be listening for his voice. As you said, he's our master. and You know the master's voice. You know it. A good servant anticipates what the master wants even before the master has to even ask. And the good servant's right there providing for the master. He's our master. We should know him well enough to know what he wants done and then especially know his voice when he does speak. But so often we miss his voice because we get so entangled in what we're doing that we're not listening. And this is something that is important. You know, uh, I'm like most men. If I'm watching TV, I'm not listening to anything else. And I don't watch a lot of TV, but uh, when, when my wife is trying to get my attention, if I want to pay attention to her and listen to her, I will 
mute or turn off the whatever's playing so that I can pay attention to her. Because otherwise, I will be paying attention to what I was doing. <laughs> so, but we need to be able to develop this ear that hears God in spite of whatever it is that we've got going on in our life. We can hear God's word and respond. And we, oftentimes, we let the world just catch up with us and, and entangle us. Or we get so busy. Or we get wrapped up in our problems and don't listen. And here we are, he's saying, and verse 7, Then shall the seers be ashamed, and their diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. And here he's saying, it's going to get dark, and they're going to start to realize it. Have you ever been in a dark place with God? Usually because of sin, or because you haven't been reading his word for a long period of time. And you start realizing that you haven't heard from God. And you have no word from God because you haven't been in his word. And, you have, and he's not there, here's what he's saying. There is no answer from God because they're not making room for him. So he's going to darken their life. We don't want to be there. And if we find ourselves there, we want to confess quickly and repent. Again, repentance is the key. Not just confessing that I've done wrong, not just being sorry for what I've done wrong, but repenting. Turn away from whatever it is. There are people who repent, you know, they, they've gotten into pornography and, and they go, okay, God, I'm going to give it up, and they, and they do good for a while. But they have all their movies and, and magazines and everything stuck away in a corner, and it shows that they really haven't repented because they're making provision for the flesh at some period of time. And then one day they just give in and they pull it all back out again. Now, somebody who's a thief who repents and gives it up but keeps all the tools of their trades and, and keeps watching what's going on around them so they know who has what. All these things, the alcoholic who says, I'm going to give up drinking, but leaves all the, the bar, the filled bar in their house, you know, saying, well, I'm just not going to drink it there, but I'll give it to my friends or, or it'll just be there in case. <laughs> They've made a provision for the flesh. And they have not truly repented because they leave it there just in case. Just in case it's still there. And they're not getting an answer for God. Now God started speaking, but truly, or now Micah, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might and declaring to Jacob and his, his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Now we have pictures how bold this is. Micah is coming in. He's saying, you've got a bunch of false prophets around you, but I'm full of the power of God. Almost arrogancy there if it wasn't, wasn't a true statement. But think about how hard it is to stand up for God when you're the only one that's standing. And everybody's looking at you and probably criticizing you, maybe even making fun of you, because you're daring to go up against the majority. And we've already said uh, Wednesday night, most of the time the majority is wrong. And that's the problem with democracies and republics. They are based on the idea that the majority is right. But we can point to all kinds of times when the majority has been wrong, even in our history. Much less going into the scriptures and seeing how many times the majority is wrong. But here you've got Micah standing up and saying, I'm speaking for God. That is not an easy thing to do when everybody's against you. And we see this in colleges so often. A lot of young 
Christians lose their faith in college because they feel like they're the only one that believes what, what God says as a professor preaches all this anti-God stuff at them. And when you feel isolated, it's hard to stand up. The sad thing, especially in that case, is they're probably not the only one. There's just nobody willing to stand up. And it's kind of fun to watch uh, somebody that's a returning student that's in their 30s or 40s who will stand up and take a stand for God. And they will rally around that person because there's a spokesman who's willing to stand up and be brave and show them that, they're, that it's worth standing up for. That movie we saw. God's Not Dead was an example. Uh, but it happens out there. It's hard to stand up when everybody else is silent. And what's worse is you will probably have all your friends telling you, quit making waves, you're causing trouble. Don't do this. And God's saying, I want my remnant to stand. God always has a remnant of people. And we need to remember this. When we feel like we're all alone, God has others out there. Uh, we had uh, Elijah that said that. You know, God, I'm the only one that's not... <laughs> that hasn't bent my knee to, to bow. And he goes, no, I've got 500 others. You know, go do what I told you to do. But we need to keep this in mind. There's always others out there. If we choose to disobey or we fail to do what God wants, he's got others that will step up. He's just given us first crack at it. God uses us, and we need to realize that we are just part, you know, with him. And the good news is, if, even if God's the only one standing for us, that's a good majority to be with. <laughs> that's a good power to be with, is stand with God, and you're on the right side. David, pre uh, excuse me, Stephen preached to the Sanhedrin as they're judging him, and they sent him out to the pit to throw rocks at him, and he stands up, and I see, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he gave up the ghost and, and, and was taken home and didn't feel the rocks. Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talking to the king Nebuchadnezzar saying, you know, he goes, well, who's going to deliver you from my hand? And they go, our God can, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will serve the Lord. Do we have that attitude that we will serve the Lord whether he delivers us or not? He can, but he doesn't always. And if he doesn't take us, then we, get, we, we lose our life or lose our freedoms and, and get to be a, a martyr for all practical purposes and, and be an example to others that God will give the power. Wonderful place. Mike is here and he says, I'm full of the power by the Spirit. Okay, he understood that he can only speak because of the Spirit. He says, of the Lord and of judgment. He's saying, I'm judging rightly. I've got God's justice and of might. This is again, he's saying the same thing. I've got strength. I've got, I've got strength, might, valor. Bravery is in this word. We need to stand up for God because he is our strength. And when he is our strength, we can be very brave in what we say to people. We can be very bold. I can guarantee Stephen did not feel all that strength in his heart as he was preaching to the Sanhedrin, knowing that it may cost him his very life. And yet he did. Why? Because God gave him the strength. God gave him the strength. Joshua, the first time he led into battle, could not have been that brave man because it was the first time he'd ever done it. Yeah. Can you remember, think back to something that you may have gotten good at, but can you remember the first time you did it? All the nervousness and the scared 
time of doing it, even if you're well trained, yeah, the mechanic who does the job for the very first time, he's watched somebody do it. He's been, you know, he or she's been shown it by by somebody, some master mechanic, and then it's your turn <laughs> to do it on your own. Maybe with them over your shoulder, maybe not. Okay, trying to remember everything that you've learned and have never really done yet. And it's like, okay, can I remember how to do this? Am I going to do it right? This is a problem for us, especially when we first start out doing things. And then after a while, it gets to be just secondhand, you know, second nature. You just do it. Yeah. You just go out and do it because it's what you've done. You've done it so many times, it becomes no problem. And he says, I'm here to declare to Jacob their transgression and to uh, Israel their, their transgression and to Jacob their sin. Or Jacob their transgression and Israel their sin. I'm here to reveal. I'm revealing that you're not following God. That is a very scary thing to do, especially when all the other so-called prophets are telling them, ah, you're doing good. You're, you're, you're doing good. God's not going to judge you. And he's coming along and saying, you've done this, this, and this, and God is going to judge you. And this is going to be hard. He's standing before the king, and the king's got a dozen or so prophets saying all good things to him, and one prophet saying, God's going to judge you. Yeah. And the king's getting what he wants from 12 of these guys. He's going to listen to the ones that he wants to hear the message from anyway. And he, Jacob, uh, uh, Micah is there saying, you're going to be judged. It's coming. Verse 9. Hear this, I pray you, you heads of the house of Jacob and the princes of the house of Israel, that a, that a poor evil, a judgment, and pervert all equity. You see how bad these courts are? He's saying you pervert equity. Pervert literally means to twist. We see a lot of that in our own age, too, where the justice system twists it and turns it on its ears and, and, and everything. And it says you abhor judgment and you twist equity. And when he starts this, it's here. And it means here to obey. Okay, I want you to hear what I'm saying, and I want you to determine to obey. And the ones I'm talking to are all you that, that hate judgment and twist, uh, twist the judgment. How many times have you heard something on the TV about some court decision, you kind of wonder how did the judges or the court ever come up with that kind of a decision? They pervert justice. They twist it. They twist it on, their, on its ears. Think, you know, things like the idea of the separation of the church and state in our government. You know, number one, there's no such clause in the, in the Constitution at all. And yet it's used to defend all kinds of actions to say, well, we shouldn't have Christian decisions made by, by government. We can't have prayer. We can't, have, we can't say that things are right or wrong according to the Bible. Why? Because they twist they twist judgment. They twist it on its head. They took out prayer from school. You know when they took that one out, it's the one and only decision the Supreme Court ever made that has no case law behind it. It's just judges who decided that, and that case law has become the, case, the basis for all decisions, all bad decisions since then. And it started with no, no citing of any case before that. No law, no constitutional grounds. Just the men in the court saying, ah, we're just going to say that they can't do it. 
And all these other decisions are based upon that decision that are bad, that take God out of things. The idea that they say that schools can't, can't speak for God. Why do they say that? They, because they say government. They say they're government schools. When you read the Constitution, they have never been, they have never been promoted to Congress. Because the Constitution says, Congress shall make no laws infringing the right of religion. So to say that the school can't say all of a sudden that they somehow got elected to Congress and can't, can't, can't do anything. The twisting and perverting of the rules that's out there. Satan does it all the time. Jesus said he's the, the, a liar and the father of lies and when he speaks a lie, he's speaking his native language. And he gets people to speak lies just like he does. And he's the father of all those lies that are out there. And they twist and they turn truth on its ears so that people cannot understand what's going on around them. And this whole idea of perverting justice. We as Christians need to be as honest as we can possibly be because we need to shine out as lights in a dark world. When we give excuses to ourselves to be disobedient to God, we're twisting, we're twisting truth. And the world knows it. And the world calls us hypocrites. And then calls us out on the things that we, that we make excuses for. And this is what I say, the world may be too harsh on us, but we're not harsh enough on ourselves sometimes because we make all kinds of excuses. God will forgive me. He'll be gracious. He'll understand. And you know what? All of that is probably true. He is going to be gracious. He is going to be forgiven forgiving. But it sure ruins our testimony to the world and darkens the light that we're supposed to be shining brightly with. When we are people of integrity and honesty and conviction of God's word, our light shines bright. We look at somebody like Daniel. Daniel, a pillar in the government. And his subservients who didn't like him start looking at his life to find a skeleton in his closet that they could attack him with and can't find one. You know, Daniel is one of only two people or three people in the Bible that nothing negative is said about. You got Joshua and Jesus, uh, 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 Joseph and Jesus is the other two. And here people look for something to use against Daniel and can't find it. And I can guarantee you they, they were just as good as our current local politicians about finding dirt on somebody. If you, and if you can't make, find it, you make it up, but there has to be some little smoke in there to, to make it stick. Daniel, they couldn't even make something up. They had to create a law for him to violate. And that was to say no prayer, no, to make no prayers to any other, anybody but the king for 30 days. And Daniel did just what he always did. He prayed to God. All right, back to, back to our target here. Verse 10. And they built up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Zion, another name for Jerusalem, God's holy hill. The leaders are building it up with iniquity, with bloodshed. They're doing what they want by shedding blood to win. And we've seen this, you know, if you remember, even in the 40s and 50s with all the gangland wars that were going on in Illinois and New York and, all, you know, Chicago and all these places where gangs ruled and they, they did it by blood and they bought off leaders and this is the kind of thing it's talking about. The leaders have been bought off. They've been bribed. People have died in, to keep, keep what they want. And it says, this is what we're building God's holy city on. 
the idea of blood and iniquity. The heads therefore judge for reward or bribes, and the priest therefore teach for hire. They've been bribed, they're teaching what they've been told to teach. And the prophets therefore divine for money. Okay, here's a pretty evil situation, isn't it? Yeah. The, the judges are, the judges are, are, for, for, are, are, are bribed. The, the priests who are supposed to be teaching God's word have been paid off and said, okay, this is what you're going to teach. The prophets are prophesying for money. You know, whoever gives me the most money, I'll, I'll tell them what they want to, want to be taught. We're talking about a pretty evil, evil place at this time that, that Mike is talking about. Like Balak and Balaam. <laughs> Balak and ba Balaam, yep. Uh, a time when nothing is just. Whoever has the money is winning. It goes on today, yes, we're, we're into the same thing today. Second part, yet they will lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No evil can come among us. How perverted is their thinking? They're, being, they're teaching what somebody with money wants to teach. They're, they're, they're twisting judgments and they're going, hey, God, God's here. God's on our side. It's the famous last words of, of many people, you know, that are doing wrong. Well, he's a God of love. He he's going to be he's going to he's going to be okay with what we do. He's he doesn't have any problem. They're walking falsely to God and yet calling on Him for protection. This is a perversion that is hard to even fathom. This is the perversion that those that the Jews have all have always had though about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is God's holy city. It doesn't matter what we do in it because we have his city. He's on our side. This has been their attitude for a long time. It's been the attitude of a lot of Christians at sometimes too. Well, God is on our side, you know, so I can do what I want, and yet he's going to protect me. God's grace. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because he's love. He's not going to judge. Peace and love. <laughs> but he will judge. And then here's Micah's condemnation for Jerusalem. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become as heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. He's telling them that Zion is going to be plowed under. It's going to be, to be plowed. And you know, one thing about plowing, though, it is that's the preparation for harvest. And God's saying, I'm going to destroy it, but I'm preparing it for the next harvest that I'm going to do because it is my city. Jerusalem shall be a heap. We do know that that happened in 70 AD, that Jerusalem became a complete heap. But even when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, took over Judah, they also destroyed the temple. Now, the biggest reason they destroyed the temple in both cases is they melted gold onto the rock. And it, and it, huh? I've that. said that before. And the, and the gold got in amongst the crevices as well, so they wanted all the gold, so they stripped down all of the blocks so they could get all the gold that they could. So the thing that made it as beautiful as it did was the melted gold, and yet that made it so that when they were conquered that it would be destroyed so they could get all of it. And it says, The mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. This is very interesting. The mountain of the house is referring to the temple. 
okay? The place where the temple sits is going to be like a high place. And we've just mentioned before the high places. All through Kings, Chronicles, and even in, in Judges, the high places were the places where they built worship for idols. All right? All through Kings, they would say, this king came along and he, and he turned things around in Jerusalem, but he didn't eliminate the, the high places. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. High places were the one place that they kept always tending to miss. For a couple of reasons, the high places were hard to get to because they were up in, they were literally on the top of mountains. And but they were hard to get to and they were hard to deal with once you got there. So they usually didn't bother with them. They just tried to keep people away from them. And here it says, the mountain of the house as a high place of the forest. To this day, since Israel came back, the, the Temple Mount has a tab, a, a a church for the Dome of the Rock for the Muslims. To the Jews, that is a high place that shouldn't be there. It is a place where a false god is being worshipped on the holy mountain as far as they're concerned. And that's why it's a sore spot for them to see that Dome of the Rock up there and not being destroyed and no temple for, for a god. And we're going to see that that is going to be their sore spot all the way through the book of Revelation that we talked about until they get to build their temple and get, get the sacrificial system going again. And we've shown you where it's quite possible that the solution is going to be to build the temple up there with the Dome of the Rock with some kind of dividing wall. And we, we brought that out because of the measurements. He says, don't measure the court of the Gentiles. And that is where the Dome of the Rock sits, is what used to be the, tem the, the court of the Gentiles. Because the foundation of the temple is further south from the Dome of the Rock. So they can build both up there, build some kind of wall separating the Holy Mountain and satisfy somewhat <laughs> both, both religions. All it takes is a leader that's strong enough to say you're going to do it. And that would be the Antichrist saying, we're going to do it. I don't care whether you like it or not, we're just going to split the mountain and do it. And the Jews would be happy to get their temple, even though they don't have the whole mountain, they'd be happy just to have their temple and with a strong enough leader being, being Satan himself, there's not going to be much argument put up by the Islamic religion because that's his religion anyway. So he's going to say, okay, there's going to be some that are going to complain, but I'm, I'm in charge of it, so it's going to be minimal. So we're going to see great changes up there. And Zion has been destroyed and still isn't what it's supposed to be and hasn't been for many years, a true worship place for God. And yet, we have already studied in Revelation, Jesus comes back, steps on Mount Olivet and, has that, and takes over the world, and he's going to destroy the Dome of the Rock. He's going to allow the worship of him on the, on the temple, and he's going to rule for a thousand years with total peace. And then he's going to bring a new heaven and earth, and it's still going to be Jerusalem being the center of it. Okay? So we want to keep this in mind, this... We don't fully understand the sadness of this when he's saying that Zion, Jerusalem, is going to be destroyed and not, and not be worth anything. It's going to be plowed under. Because to the Jews, this is a phenomenal city, and it is God's city. And early on, before this, they would take the Ark of the Tabernacle out to battle with them, and then they took it out to battle, they won battles. And they got to the place where they thought that it was the Ark of the Tabernacle that won the battles, not God. 
and God let the Ark of the Tabernacle be taken in battle one time against the Philistines. And the people came back in, in total distress because they'd forgotten that it was God who won the battles and not the Ark of the Covenant. And sometimes we do the same things. We get so wrapped up in some kind of program. Now, if we just do this, this is how we're going to witness. This is how we're going to reach the lost. And it's not that these programs are necessarily bad, but they're programs. We need to listen to the Spirit and develop whatever God asks us to do. And we want to be very careful that we don't get wrapped up in a way of doing things. This is the problem sometimes when you bring in some strong different way. There's ways to evangelize called, you know, one's the way of the master, which teaches you how to answer everybody's question, how to start things. Wonderful program. But you've got to remember it's a program. A lot of what they have is great, and I've used much of their tools. Uh, Southern Baptists have developed uh, the thing called faith. And it's a way to witness based on the word faith. And they are really strict. When you, when you follow it, they go, you've got to follow it this way. So I didn't put much attention into that. Because for me, all ways of witnessing and evangelizing are a tool in the arsenal and use whatever piece of it I want to use to bring the gospel to somebody. But if you're going to tell me I have to use it the way that it's presented, forget it, because that's a program. And I'm not going to sit there and follow a script <laughs> to evangelize. That's why I don't use Way of the Master as a full-fledged script, but they have great ways. They have great tools to start conversations. They have great answers. It's very much worth knowing their material. They, but don't sit there and try to follow it. I, I don't know how many of you have ever been someplace where somebody is basically being a robot. They're saying exactly what they've been told to say, and there's no personality behind it. A lot of times it's your new person. You know, they've been taught you know, in a restaurant, hi, welcome to such and such. You know, uh, how many will be with us today? You know, and, and that's their script, but, but it can get robotic. You know, and, and they don't want to script, you know, pull too far from the script, but there's this idea that is your personality part of it, or is, is it real too, or is it just robotic? And if we're trying to witness in a program and it's just becoming a robotic, follow the steps, people know it. They know that we're not really meaning what it is that we're talking about and that affects the way they listen to us. But if we're really just interacting with them and making a good, making conversation with them, and maybe even using a tool here and there and, and now and then, but it becomes real, it's conversational, it's powerful. And God is asking us to be ready to speak with him and be ready to defend him, defend our beliefs at any time. And then he reaches into their heart and touches them or doesn't touch them. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your message from Micah to the leaders. Lord, we ask that you help us to be faithful servants, that you help us to, to speak honestly for you, even in, even in the hardest times. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.